This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. You are listening to The Cable. Five o'clock in the City of London, almost on the nose. I'm Guy Johnson. Let's talk about the price action and what we've seen today. US equity markets uh, continue to move higher. Tech, a big factor behind that. Here in Europe, though, uh, a little bit more subdued. The FTSE 100 closed yesterday, as we all know, for the national holiday. Today, down by 1.7% at 58.62. We do, though, have a stronger pound on a cable rate, i.e., the United States dollar versus the US pound. We are trading 134.14, up by three-tenths of 1%. The pound continues to get stronger and stronger against the US dollar, which is going down, well, to be honest, pretty much against most things right now. Let's talk about what this all means for the markets and where we go next. Joining us now, Bloomberg Opinions, Marcus Ashworth. Mr. Ashworth, nice to talk. What do you make of this dollar decline? Does it have further to run? Um, theoretically, yes, because if you if you look at the sort of main reason why the dollar has been so strong over the last uh, few years, really, it's due to a sort of premium of growth potential, uh, actual and real uh, and, and expected, and and also obviously interest rates, uh, the differential between that, and particularly in Europe and obviously Japan, both of those factors, both growth and interest rate. Um, Differences have have narrowed and, and look like continue to narrow, probably for the moment, despite today's pretty strong ISM number. Um, I think that um, you know going into the into the uh, U.S. election, it, it's more about whether or not Congress gets a, a, another stimulus package through than, than necessarily what the, the decent numbers have been looking backwards. So net net net, I think the dollar is you know is. It's quite amusing to think of, of sterling and, uh, as something of import. It's, it's been buffered up and down 10% without really anything changing. Certainly no good news on the Brexit front. We got some bad news on that today, and that affected some markets. But, you know, reality, sterling is purely a function of whatever the dollar is, is thinking it wants to do. And I think the euro is not dissimilar from that as well, in the sense the dollar is, is all, and it's probably headed down, um, all things been equal. And I think as we go into election, a Trump win, maybe short-term positive dollar, but I don't think it makes it last for long, and a Biden win would probably be a negative for dollar. So I think the, the, the general trend, probably all things being equal, is for the dollar to continue to, to struggle, should we say. Does that, is that a smooth ride? Like the financial markets never deliver a straight line, but do you think this move has, has happened a little too quickly? No, I mean I think it comes. The dollar comes at a very strong point of uh, position, um, and um, it, it clearly, you know, rose sharply um, throughout the, 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 the worst parts of the COVID crisis until the Fed really got a proper handle on it. Now, and you can see that some of the um, cancelling of the, of, of the currency swap lines between various central banks around the world is tantamount to the fact they don't need them anymore. It's very, very low usage, but they were very much needed at the right time. And I think there's plenty of liquidity arguably too much liquidity now in dollars, and that's, that's now feeding through to a weaker dollar. Uh, and I see that no real reason why that will change, um, and therefore I think that the, the emphasis will be still on, on a weaker dollar for, for, for the moment. September generally, according to the Almanac, is a pretty difficult month for stocks. April, May, June, July, August, 
all up for the stock, for the for the S and P. What are your expectations for September? Kids are going back. People are talking about it being quite difficult in terms of the COVID news. Do you think that gets reflected in financial markets, or do you think this March higher, particularly in U.S. tech, just continues on and on? I have as much clue as the next person, but I, I see no particular reason for the moment for 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 the current trends to stop, though at some point surely they must. But you know we can see stock splits from, from Tesla and Apple causing you know uh, further momentum, and clearly what has got uh, some wind behind it. Expectations remain of of, uh, of a vaccine or, or some form of, of better ability to treat anyway. Uh, and handle COVID, it becomes less important. Um, certainly, cases going up do not seem to be correlating with deaths, uh, which is therefore, in some sense, a positive sign. And we still have quite a bit further to go in economies reopening. I mean, I think most people can see the economy is getting back to 95% of where they were before uh, COVID, still quite quickly. Um, the last 5% will be very tough indeed, but there is some momentum, and clearly we've got a long way to go. Uh, in getting uh, cities um, back up to up to track, so there is potentially uh, more upside to come back into the economies, uh, and clearly fiscal and monetary stimulus is not going away. So, in that sense, you know, you could argue. I don't, I'm not going to try and even remotely argue that stocks are fair value, but you can see why there is momentum behind it. I don't see that at the moment changing. Right. You know, does, certain. does that mean does that mean these markets make sense to you right now? No, they certainly don't make sense. I wouldn't get even close to, uh, as I said, trying to, you know, <laughs> the S&P uh, sort of, you know, earnings per share are going to get hit hard, and yet the valuations going up. So there is a, there is a big disconnect there. But you know, this is, we've never had this type of, uh, of strange situation with with credit spread super tight, stocks very high, and yet, you know, certain areas of the market don't make uh, any form of sense. But there's, there's no actual obvious um, catalyst at the moment to, to, to change that momentum. The, 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 it's going to be interesting. I, you've done this for a long time. People come back off the beach. Um, a lot of people get back virtually or, or in, in kind of body uh, to their desks. How big a difference does that make? How big a kind of moment is this in kind of reviewing what you see in front of you? Because everybody I speak to, I ask them that question, do these markets make sense to you? And everybody I talk to says no. Well, I mean, with with volume um, comes validation. Uh, you know, in, in price there is knowledge. I'm saying, say, but in volume there's there's confirmation of that knowledge. And I think that's we're going to see a lot more new issuance, not just for bond markets, both big government or or corporate, but also in in, in IPO terms, and, and indeed I expect in M and A terms. So you know, there's going to be a lot more deals being done of, of all stripes, and I think that that. W- w- could and should validate some of the um, momentum in markets. You know, we know it's been very much purely led, it seems, from, from large tech. It would be good to see some value uh, shares coming through to, to not just momentum ones. And that, that, that's something which might have a little bit of weight, particularly things like the European markets, which, you know, which could do with a, you know, perhaps with a, with a longer run of it. I think the strength of the euro backs up. There is some, some potential there. So it would be good to see a more widespread, more balanced, equity market and that's something which could come as i said with a little bit more confirmation not just from economic data but actual deals being done marcus always a pleasure thank you very much indeed bloomberg's marcus ashworth this is bloomberg this is the cable 
with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. I just asked Marcus Ashworth whether these markets make sense. Are things going to change? Well, that is one of the questions that Taylor Riggs put to Mona Marjan of Allianz a little earlier. We are certainly at a point where the market, um, as Scarlett just referred to, is up 56% since that March 23rd low. Tech is up 75%. Um, certainly, it's been a tale of you know uh, two cities in terms of defensive growth leading the way. The laggard cyclical sectors have had their moment in the sun here and there, uh, but not a sustained rally yet. As we look towards the second half of the year, what we're seeing is, yes, could we get a period of perhaps a little uncertainty as we head to September? Keep in mind, it's not only a time where we're facing uh, flu season, you know, colds again, but we're also looking at school reopening. So the virus will become front and center once again. It's also a time historically where uh, we have seen some volatility. September and October have not normally or, or historically been too kind to markets. And of course, this year we're facing a pre-election season as well. So all walls of worry for the market to climb. That being said, uh, we continue to feel like any periods of consolidation will be met with likely some buying. You know, I think there are investors that are still uh, have not participated fully in this 56 percent rally. And so I think we could see that buy the dip mentality uh, come forward, especially if we're looking at a stronger year end post-election and that vaccine, you know, all encompassing solution come to fruition before year end as well. Investors will certainly want to get in ahead of that. So um, certainly some near term walls of worry, which could lead to uh, tactical buying opportunities for investors. Yeah. And you're certainly echoing some statements that we heard from Morgan Stanley's Lisa Shallot at the beginning of this program talking about any sort of buy the dip opportunity here. And I am curious about how that folds over into the more broader global perspective, because the trade has been U.S. versus everyone else. While you are getting record highs on some of the world indices, it really has been the U.S. still continuing to lead the way. Do you see that as well? Yeah, you know, absolutely. In the near term, I think uh, the U.S. is part of this defensive rally. So that U.S. is more heavily exposed to the tech names, um, certainly as a percent of indices or the S&P index. You know, tech is about 35 percent of the U.S. index um, versus, you know, Europe, which is under 10 percent, for example. Asia and China certainly have a higher exposure to some of the growth, um, more more growth tech names as well. You know, what we're seeing is over time when, you know, when we head towards 2021 and we certainly get a very strong rebound in economic activity globally, uh, you will want to be positioned um, with some global exposure. So if you are looking to add for, to the value cyclical trade, Europe certainly has some compelling value opportunities. If you're looking to add to that growth, more defensive, secular theme, um, China and North Asia in particular look attractive to us. But we do think as we head towards 2021, where we will likely see a stronger rebound globally in economic activity, it's important to remain diversified. Um, The U.S. has certainly led the way through this pandemic and through this crisis. Uh, But over time, we think that there will be a broadening of participation, as we noted, uh, not only from a global perspective, perspective, but from a cyclical perspective as well. So important to keep in mind both um, in the U.S. and globally as well. Mona, how are you thinking about these stocks? If you're not in them, you're underperforming your peers, you're underperforming the benchmarks. But if you are in them, you're perhaps taking on extra risk. Where are you in this risk control and FOMO world? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you nailed it on the FOMO. And then the TINA is the other acronym we use a lot now. There is no alternative. Um, look, we continue to feel like you have to have participation in those secular growth names. Um, but what we're saying is if you're investing new money or putting new money to work at this point, uh, make sure you have that barbell on. Add some of that cyclical exposure, both in the U.S. and globally, as we talked about. Uh, if you have the names on right now, it's probably a good time to perhaps take a little bit of profit and either rotate it to the cyclical names or you know, keep that cash on the sidelines until we get perhaps a little bit of a buy-the-dip opportunity. A buy the dip opportunity. Does the same thing apply in the foreign exchange markets? The euro against the dollar hitting 120 a little earlier on. We faded that move on the back of a strong ISM print out of the United States. Uh, up next, we're going to hear from Sockgen's Kit Jukes. We'll get his take on where the single currency is heading next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. You are listening to The, Euro, uh, listening to the Cable uh, live on DAB Digital Radio. I made a mistake there. I talked about the euro because the cable uh, actually is interesting, 134, but the euro going through 120 a little earlier on against the US dollar, probably even more interesting. Where do we go next, I think, is the big question. Uh, we did seem so stronger than expected ISM data out of the United States today. That caused the euro to fade a little bit. And a possible Trump bump in the polls could also uh, see the dollar regain gaining some traction. Earlier on, we caught up with Sockgen's Kit Dukes to get his take. It's just a number at one level, but psychologically it's important. It's the average euro-dollar level since it first started trading in physical form on January 1st, 1999. So it means it's stronger than average if we get through it. How about that for a, for a piece? But I think it's also a mark that an enormous number of people like me who've seen it go up so fast and who wanted to mm-hmm. buy a dip, see some profit, profit-taking first, who were worried about positioning excesses, I mean, you know, breaking 120 gets some some of the some of the more nervous people to just give right. up and buy. <clears throat> Kitchukes, it's the nominal yield 0.7 whatever, minus rising inflation expectations to an ever greater and lower, more negative real yield. Are inflation expectations unanchored? Um. They've certainly adjusted to the Fed. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll get themselves anchored pretty firmly if inflation stays low enough for long enough on the official data. Uh, but, but they've, you know, they were falling. Um, and the, the, you know, I think the Fed has, has – I'm surprised by how successful the Fed has been in saying we'll, we'll tolerate an overshoot in inflation to get us thinking inflation might be higher. Um, you know, lots of the Japanese would tolerate an overshoot in inflation, never got near one. The Europeans would, would love an overshoot in inflation for five minutes, not a chance. Being willing to tolerate something is one thing. Being willing to able to engineer it is quite another. So I think we'll get doubts about this before, you know, along the way. But at the moment, the Fed heard the FOMC last week. And they, they heard, sorry, they heard Jay Powell at the, at the virtual Jackson Hole, and um, they bought it, hook, line, sinker, and... Uh, and with bells on. Wait, Kit, are you suggesting that you expect real yields to rise, not because of rates rising substantially or a change in policy, but just because people realize the Fed can't get the inflation they're looking for? 
At some time, not now, not today, not tomorrow. Uh, at some point in the next 12 months, we will, we will. This isn't going to be a straight line trade, you know, because I mean, the, the, the longer term things that are going to make inflation go higher, so the aging baby boomers, the uh, lessening addition of global labour uh, as a result of globalisation, th- those are kind of, you know, th- those are multi-decade themes that. that May, may see a bottom in inflation moving higher over the course of the next 30 years. The next two years are all about a combination of shortages of supply of some things, fresh food and things like that in some places, but most of all, just a massive excess supply of people who would like jobs. Uh, yeah. And that'll, that'll anchor wage growth and it'll anchor prices and anchor demand. Um, and, and it's very hard to fight that until you get us all back in work. Yeah. Right now we're seeing the dollar spot index at the weakest since 2018. People expecting a weaker dollar even still going forward. Usually this is a positive for global growth. It makes it easier for emerging nations to repay their debts. Is this time different, Kit? No, I think in, in a sense this is this is true at a, at a global level, but it's better than the alternative. This, remember, this is a reflection of the fact that back in March the Federal Reserve was more aggressive in dealing with the dollar liquidity shortage uh, that we were facing uh, than during the great financial crisis, than during the Asian crisis a, de- you know, a decade before that. So it's an extraordinarily accommodative mood, and that's good for global asset prices, obviously, but growth as well. The challenge is there's a bunch of countries, capital dependent, affected more by the pandemic, unable to do yield curve control, quantitative easing, MMT, or any other fancy policy to, to, to boost fiscal policy in particular. And, and they, they can't get growth. That, that's not, you know, just feeling good about ourselves isn't going isn't to get Get the Brazilian economy or the Peruvian economy today or, or the South African economy moving fast. They're going to get left behind on growth um, in this, and, and that, that's reflected in their currencies this morning. Kitschuks, I want to go off your radar a little bit here. This is unfair, but Ben Laidler, who's been absolutely dead on on equity performance, just put out a research note where he talks about a renaissance in U.S. equities, that the IPO market quick kicks in and all the different frenzy kicks in as well. We talk about the Powell speech in FX and bonds as well. Talk about the effect of the Powell speech on the equity markets. Oh, it's, it's, um, it, it's fuel for, for an equity market to keep on going. It means nobody wants to keep their money in cash. And remember that, that when we worry about bonds, you know, if people want, want tips as inflation protection, uh, equities are, in, at least in theory, an inflation-protected asset in the sense that they'll go up as nominal profits and nominal earnings go up on companies. So, um, so people will be wanting to buy them. And it also means that if you're the, if you're the biggest and best companies that can, that can borrow at really super rates and don't have problem with a bank that doesn't want to lend to you, now is the time where if you have stuff you want to do, uh, it's a great environment for the best companies. Okay, well, if that's fine, let me let me ask you in your decades of wisdom, is this a bubble? I mean, how do you discern a bubble from a genuine lift? I, I think when you've got an enormous amount priced in and you just go up on the sugar rush of cheap money, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a bond and currency guy. The equity I market know. is nearly always a bubble well, in my world. But so, <laughs> so we're, we, we see them harsh. pretty easily. But, but I would say... I, I would say this looks mad, but hey, what do I know? Yeah, Lisa, the, and you should see, Lisa, how the equity guys talk about jukes. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the question is, I mean, what the equities guys will say is that the dollar is losing its supremacy and the death of the dollar, and that's going to be the uh, big drama oh, yeah. in that world. 
Kit. What's your oh, take please. on that? This is all I'll say to that. <laughs> No, okay. no, no we, we do this. We do this every now and then. Yeah, the, 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 the dollar, the, you've got to remember, the, the dollar has as big a share of global foreign exchange trading today as it had in 1990. I mean, its, it's, it's dominance has, has just ridden through all of these stories. Kid Jukes talking uh, to the surveillance team a little bit earlier on. Uh, up next, we'll talk about that equity market. Are we in a bubble? Do these levels make sense? September is usually a turbulent month. We'll see whether or not ultimately the almanac does deliver. History would suggest yes, but we've been going up April, May, June, July, August for the S&P. What comes next? Well, that's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. 5.30 in London. You are listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson. Let me talk you through the price action. FTSE 100 closing down today, 1.7%. So the FTSE played a little bit of catch-up today. Closed yesterday because of the August bank holiday. Reopening today. Yesterday, equity markets in Europe went lower. Today, the FTSE had to play catch-up. Elsewhere in Europe, we went broadly sideways. The CAC Herantz down by two-tenths of 1%. The DAX up by two-tenths of 1%. We're going to see a re-weighting of the stock 600 uh, and the Euro stocks 50 announced tonight. Pay attention. That could uh, have meaningful impacts further down the road. The other story that we're watching so carefully is what is happening with the dollar. Euro-dollar hitting 120 a little bit earlier on before we saw some strong U.S. data, uh, meaning that the dollar bounce back up again. Uh, but the buck is definitely on the back foot right now. So let's talk about what's happening in equity markets. The S&P's up by three-tenths of 1%. The Nasdaq, as ever, it seems, is outperforming, up by a full 1%. Uh, 11,895 is where the Nasdaq is now trading. The other story we'll be watching carefully is a, a weaker dollar earlier on, euro-dollar, the euro versus the dollar, through 120. How big a tailwind is that going to provide for equities in the United States. Let's ask that question now to Mike Regan, senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live here at Bloomberg. How big a beneficiary for uh, of, for U.S. stocks could the uh, the buck on the back foot be? Do you think, Mike? Well, you know, Guy, I think it's definitely one of the, the several tailwinds for the the equity market right now, and especially after the uh, Chairman uh, Fed Chairman Powell's speech last week at the Jackson Hole Symposium, where he indicated, you know, a more flexible uh, central bank reaction to inflation going forward. You know, sort of signaling they would allow it to to get a little bit hotter than that two percent, and and look at an average over some unspecified time period. So. Yeah, we are seeing the main dollar indexes, the Bloomberg uh, index and uh, some of the others, sort of breaking out to to new lows uh, following that. So it's certainly, you know, Gaia-Tailwind to equities should flatter those overseas earnings to some degree. But, I mean, how many tailwinds can this market have to the point where the valuations are just so stretched? I think the general thinking – among a lot of people, is that some correction is due, if not overdue. Of course, timing when that will happen is next to impossible. We could continue to see this this sort of melt-up rally continue. Um, how much the dollar can really justify uh, a continuation of, the, of a rally 
given the election uncertainty, um, I think we'd have to see some significant further weakening to really get those earnings estimates uh, up to, uh, you know, rising um, to the point to, to really justify what we've already, the rally we've already had. Um, so that's a, sort of a long way to explain that. Um, yeah, the, the weakening dollar is a tailwind. But it's coming at a point where I think a lot of people think the, the equity market is at least fully valued, if not overvalued. So, um, I, you know, I'm not sure how, how much more realistically the dollar alone can boost equities. It, it, the the market seems to have just be in this rally mode um, that's bound to be rethought eventually. But no one uh, – it, it, you'd be very foolish to try to time that, obviously. So – we're kind of just stuck here staring at the screen watching this relentless rally in, in equities go on for for another day. What does October normally bring? Well, you know, there's uh, October is, is a, uh, a special question in an election year, of, of course. Um, I, a lot of the markets are braced for potential volatility in October ahead of the election and, uh, you know, that's across all markets, currencies, uh, bonds, uh, fixed income, equities. There is all sorts of pricing in the options markets for, for all asset classes for some sort of turbulence in October, uh, whether it be kind of, uh, you know, a new surprise that shifts the, the electoral uh, landscape a little bit to some degree, um, or sort of a very tight uh, election result that, that requires some weeks or even a, a month or more to, to sort out who actually won. Um, so, you know, in, the, in this year of 2020, October is a special case where I think a lot of, uh, you know, people are wondering exactly, you know, whether this implied volatility that's priced into the market uh, will actually surface or, or not. Um, so it, it's very much, I think, now that the, the Jackson Hole uh, meeting is over at the Fed, we'll get the, the Fed's next, uh, you know, FOMC meeting in September. After that, I think it's going to be uh, a, a pure focus on the U.S. Uh, election results and, and trying to figure out, you know, not only the president, but what, what that Senate makeup will look like and, and what kind of policies we can expect as a result uh, after that. So. Um, you know, it's one of those periods where I think we'll be watching those those headlines out of D.C. as, as closely uh, as anything else. Is it you talk to a lot of people? Do you get a sense, though, that a lot of investors, while they may not fully understand why we are and how we sort of where we are and how we got here, they do appreciate that this kind of liquidity for longer story is is a really big deal, and any kind of sell off will be treated as a buy the dip opportunity. Um, I that's a very common uh, – I'm not sure I'd call it consensus. It's definitely a very common uh, way to justify the market moves we've seen. And, you know, and it, and, it, and it makes a lot of sense to some degree. I mean, when you still have you – know, you know, you look at the, the yield curve last week was starting to look like it might steepen a little bit, um, flattening out again this week. So we're looking at you know, 10-year treasuries back below 70 basis points. As long as that yield is so low – as long as the Fed is still a buyer of a variety of assets, we just had a headline cross today. The Fed has bought a trillion dollars worth of mortgage securities since March. So, I mean, it's hard to fight that sort of liquidity when the Fed is is, is really pumping and dominating these these uh, other asset classes. I think that's something like one third 
30 percent uh, or so in that neighborhood of the mortgage market, the mortgage security markets that the Fed now owns. So um, obviously keeping those mortgage rates super low, uh, keeping the corporate bond market in check with purchases in that market, um, it allows for excessive uh, risk taking in the stock market. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Bloomberg's Mike Regan. Uh, Up next, we're going to hear from another legend of market coverage. Art Hogan of National Securities will be joining us. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. The S&P currently up by three-tenths of 1%, but the Nasdaq once again storming ahead up a full 1%. Tesla once again on a tear, tech on a tear. It's a familiar tale. Does this market make sense? Earlier, we spoke to Art Hogan of National Securities. It certainly would. In the very short term, we've gotten, at least on the S&P and the Nasdaq, very overbought. Technically speaking, if you look at the RSI, the relative strength index sits at about 77 for the NASDAQ and close to that for the S&P. So clearly, that's overbought any way you slice it. And if you look at the percentage that the NASDAQ is above its 200-day moving average, that's a record that's close to 28%. So in the short run, I think we're, we've got to a place pretty quickly. Where the market makes sense to me is if it's actually factoring in stronger economic growth on the other side of a vaccine and better therapeutics. I think that the economic activity that will be released in 2021 will be phenomenal, and I think the market's looking forward to that. So the market's a forward pricing mechanism, but can oftentimes get ahead of itself. And I think that's just what we've got in short-term overbought in a longer-term bull market that likely will manifest post the vaccine that hopefully is a mass production in the first half of 21. Well, in the meantime, though, we have to get through the presidential election, which you also highlighted. Uh, the note that caused all the chatter yesterday was from J.P. Morgan talking about uh, a lot can happen in the next 60 days to change the odds. But currently, they believe that momentum in favor of Trump will continue while most investors are still positioned for a Biden win. And implications could be significant for the performance of factors, sectors, uh, COVID winners and losers, as well as ESG. We see a lot of volatility being played in the options market right around that election time, uh, but not throughout the rest of the market. How are you factoring in a a potential Trump win now into the market? Well, that's interesting. So, you know, obviously it's it's, post both of the conventions, the race has certainly gotten tighter. Um, And and we're not really good at at sort of sorting this out. If you look at the last couple of elections, we weren't even close in terms of polling results and what the end result was. But where we're even worse as an industry is actually predicting what that means. There's too many variables in my mind to say, well, if Biden's in the White House, um, the market has to go down. That's largely not been true of Democratic administrations over the course of time, especially if the if the Senate remains in, in, a, in a predominantly Republican hands. Right. So, you know, I would say that that you know the one thing that the that, that Wall Street is looking at is saying the best possible scenario would be a Biden win and, and the Senate stays Republican, and you don't have massive changes to corporate taxes, et cetera. But I, I just think it's too early to tell. And I think that we have a long history of making wrong guesses about the results of elections and what they mean to markets and the economy. Uh, we're bopping around all over the place here, but let's talk about the dollar. Uh, we have a two-year low on the dollar. How much of a, of a kind of tailwind does that give the S&P? Is it good for stocks, bad for stocks? How are you thinking about this? 
Yeah, I think in, in general it has been very good for stocks. It's certainly been good for um, emerging markets that have a lot of dollar-denominated debt. It's certainly been great for the commodity complex overall, whether the precious metals, which have been on a, a bit of a tear, um, that's quieted down a bit in August, or the industrial materials. You know, across the board, commodities have benefited from the weaker dollar. Certainly, when we look at our exporters becoming more competitive in the global economy, that that certainly helps. I think that that move probably has been uh, exacerbated, and I think it's the, the, you know, part of it is, is focusing on the fact that we have the most aggressive monetary policy in the developed world, and, and certainly part of it is, is driven by the fact that we've had a really uneven uh, reopening process and an uneven economic recovery versus other developed countries. So I think the move has been logical, if not extended, and I think that sort of weaker dollar bet, um, which is getting very crowded right now, mm-hmm. um, is, is probably getting to a tipping point where we probably see that reverse a, a bit of itself, but not until after we get the uh, results of the election. That was Art Hogan uh, talking to Alex Steele and myself uh, a little bit earlier on. Uh, up next, we're going to be uh, we're going to be hearing from the CEO of Rolls Royce, not the jet engine maker, the car company from near Chichester. Torsten Muller Odvos is the CEO of that company. Uh, they've just released their new Ghost. The previous Ghost was the best-selling car in the company's 116-year history. But we're dealing in a world where we have to think about COVID. Is that changing things? We'll hear from him next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. Rolls-Royce based down in Chichester unveiling its new ghost. This replaces the previous ghost, the best-selling car in the company's 116-year history. Earlier, Alex Steele and I caught up with Torsten Muller-Odvos. He's the CEO of the company. We started by asking him about the car. Yeah, it's a seminal moment for us. We are launching a new car. And uh, that doesn't happen too often with Rolls-Royce motor cars, as you might know, and particularly the ghost plays a very important role for the company. I mean, it used to be the most successful cars in the entire history of the brand, 116 years, and uh, has been our bestseller worldwide. So I must say we are well prepared here with the Ghost launch. We have thought carefully about that date here, 1st of September. And the reason why we are launching today is because I see personally quite encouraging signals from all over the world in terms of order intake for us. Uh, You might know that uh, the majority of our clients are business people uh, running their own businesses, men and women, and uh, they are apparently a bit more confident in Mm -hmm. the meantime. Yes, we have seen quite an impact from COVID, but uh, we are now back on track in a way. Torsten, does that mean that you feel like that was demand that was pulled forward and or pent up demand, meaning that does it last, say, into 2021? Uh, No, I I would say, uh, Alex, it was, of course, when COVID happened in the beginning, we saw quite some sharp drops in many markets worldwide, but uh, they are all recovering. And I would say that the order intake is not only for the ghost uh, good, but also for the rest of our portfolio. So for that reason, I'm confident, cautiously optimistic about particular the next year. Torsten, what is the relationship between financial markets, stock markets have roared back, and demand for your cars? I mean, you could say that we are a certain indicator for 
an economy, uh, if I may say so. You see that when our demand picks up, that also the economy, particular stock markets, are also flying higher, and that is exactly the time now again. So there is a certain relation, and that is all back to the fact that our clients are business people, businessmen, businesswomen, running own entities, own businesses, and for that reason there is a certain connection. I would say that is in general true for high-end luxury goods, not only for us, Rolls motor cars. Is there a distinction, uh, it, uh, depending on where you are, U.S., Europe uh, versus China, one area where that's stronger? I mean, we saw first pickup uh, uh, in the Asian markets. The Asian markets came back very strong uh, for our business after that sharp drop after COVID, and uh, probably due to the fact that they are in the meantime far more used to COVID, how to deal with it and how to tackle it, whilst other markets are still on the upward trend and uh, still take some time to come back to old levels. Where these old levels, when they are reached, hard to predict, but uh, I would say, in general, that trend can be seen worldwide. What has it been like managing a car company during this period? Um, what has it been like operationally? Uh, you're based down on the south coast here in the UK. What has been going on within the factory at Goodwood? Um, what has been happening within the supply chains? Have you had to lay people off? Do you think the company is going to be smaller or bigger going forward? Ha just kind of walk me through what it's been like inside the business. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, and that is positive news. Uh, of course, we shut the company for a couple of weeks after COVID uh, hit us here. But we reopened first in the UK with production on 4th of May. And uh, guess what? We are also bringing our second shift in next week, and we haven't laid off a single person, which is quite unique, I must say. And uh, we were in that lucky position not to lay anybody off. The reason for that is order intake looks good, as I said a minute ago, and also I don't want to lose any one of our experts here, of course. In terms of the uh, supply chain, though, the, the story is a little bit different, and I'm focusing specifically on Continental. Uh, they'd had some announced some job cuts this morning. Uh, they're a supplier, of course, to BMW, your parent company. Are you noticing anything on that line where you're going to see some disruptions in your actual material uh, available? No, not at all. So far, uh, it is very stable. We haven't seen any disruptions here. And uh, we are also preparing ourselves, of course, and have prepared ourselves for potential disruptions. So in certain areas, we have stocked up a little bit on parts. So we are flexible and we haven't seen any distractions here coming from COVID regarding our parts. We have managed that well, I must say. Talked to suppliers direct, particularly in the beginning. It was quite drastic because many companies shut for over uh, uh, some weeks, but we also shut our... Uh, a company here for a couple of weeks, so that went in a way parallel to each other. But after reopening, we were able to handle it in a very, very proper way, I must say. Torsten, just behind you, there is a very large combustion engine. Um, when will it be an electric motor? <laughs> what is the current timeline? Uh, are you on track for kind of what you've, what you've discussed before, or do you think about accelerating that? No, I think we are well on track, and I said it a couple of times, we will bring uh, this decade a fully electrified Rolls-Royce into the market, and after that, step by step, we are electrifying the entire range of Rolls-Royce motor cars. So long term, you will see that this brand will be a pure electric brand. It takes some time, and you will see a certain transition time from combustion engines, our 12-cylinder engine, into full electric 
but I think we are well placed and well prepared because I also want to get it right. And we need to get our products right in the eyes of our clients. And they have quite some, rightly so, uh, expectations regarding what an electrified Rolls Royce should be and what it should perform and how it should work. The CEO of Rolls-Royce talking to Alex Steele and myself a little bit earlier on, um, just to paint the picture, standing in front of the new ghost that will be produced uh, down at Goodwood near Chichester. Uh, what have we got tomorrow? Tomorrow is a reasonably busy day. We have uh, Prime Minister's questions for the first time since uh, before the summer. Uh, we will see Keir Starmer uh, opposite the Prime Minister. That should certainly uh, be one to watch out for. Uh, this as we continue uh, to monitor what is happening uh, with the return to school. Schools start to kind of go back as of tomorrow, a critical moment uh, in the return and rehabilitation of the UK economy. We'll discuss much of that tomorrow. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.